Well, good evening. What a privilege to be here at Living Stones. Uh, thank you so much, Amy, for uh, inviting me and making this happen. Thank you, Pastor, Pastor Paul, for allowing me to come and, and share your podium. I understand how important it is when you let some stranger into your podium. And so I'm really grateful for the privilege to be here and to share this time. And uh, I said this morning, and I just want to tell you how really excited I am to be able to meet so many young people. And for Amy, uh, Amy has just been a delight to watch. I've watched her uh, grow and serve and, and impact and influence. And I tell you, it's, uh, it makes it worth it to invest in the lives of young people when that's the outcome. And so really, really delighted uh, to be part of uh, Amy's life and, and of the opportunity to see her serve in this church. And it's been a great day. It's been a really full day. Uh, you need to pray for your pastoral team. They go through a fair bit on Sundays here. And, uh, but what a great day it's been. And the Millers, I don't really know the Millers too well, but I watched this morning as Mr. Miller gave his testimony about what God's doing. And I realized my buddy Wayne has talked to me about those people. And I've sat and listened at the Smitties and Moose Jaw as he told us your story. And what a great story. See, I love stories. I love the way God does stuff. And I don't know about you, but as you look around our world, do you think time, it's time or there's a need for God to do some stuff? Are you concerned at all about the condition of our world? Does it appear that we're moving in a not-so-good direction sometimes? I'm not a naysayer. Some people say, boy, you're kind of a negative sort of a guy. Not really. I just look around and I go, wow, does it ever feel like we're slipping behind that, that this country that was founded on some really, really good things are making some really, really poor choices with our values I love kids. You need to know that. If I could fill an auditorium with kids, I would probably ask all the adults to leave. But I, I just love kids, and I, and I care deeply about how they grow. See, everybody needs to encounter the living Christ. It's why I love camp so much. God's Word is a book of principles and a book of promises. If we live by the principles, we can stand on the promises. And if we violate the principles, we're in big, big trouble. And I worry about our kids. Biblical literacy has dropped 50% since 1996. 50% in Canada. These are Canada stats. 77% of our young people upon the completion of high school are having some kind of a crisis of faith and choosing to walk away from the faith. Folks, we have a concern in our world. I'm concerned about our kids and I want to know what it looks like for them to actually encounter the living Christ and to watch that living Christ flow in our lives, my life, your life, and be able to actually be attracted to Christ. And here's a question for you this evening. Is your life an attractive, contagious representation of Jesus Christ that would compel other people to see him in you and be drawn to him? What would it look like? And maybe that's true for you. But how many of you would love to be able to say, every moment of every day of my life, I get to know what it, what it feels like to walk and live in the favor and the anointing of God? Anybody here want to see that? What would, how cool would it be? How cool would it be if we just lived and walked and flowed in the, in the favor and the anointing of God and God just did stuff? in our country. And so that's my heartbeat tonight. And it's why I actually uh, take the time to focus my heart around kids, because I actually think they're really, really, really crucial to our future. And we need to, we need to pour into them. And so what a, what a great opportunity that is. And uh, how many dreamers do we have here tonight? Anybody dreamer? Dreamers in the group? Hey, we had some dreamers. I love dreamers. In fact, the more extreme your dream, the more far out there, the more improbable, the more I like your dreams. I love people that know how to dream way beyond their ability, way beyond their resource, way beyond their capacity, because that's when God can show up and do some stuff. 
Anybody here ever had a dream that you were so sure God put there, and then somehow that dream got weary? You started to drift, and pretty soon you just kind of gotten into the rut of life. Anybody here ever experienced that dream kind of just fade or wane or disappear over time? Do you ever wonder what God's up to in the moment that your dream seems to be slipping away or crumbling, or maybe you forgot about it completely? What's God up to? Has anybody ever questioned God on that? You ever wonder what God's doing? Uh, Kevin Meyer says this, when, when God is crushing your dream, well, just a second, I don't think God's crushing our dreams. Well, maybe he is, actually. He says when God's crushing our dreams, he's actually cheering us on. He wants to see us win, but he says before God can grow the dream, he has to grow the dreamer. And sometimes growing that dreamer is tough, and it's, it's tenuous, and it can be very, very sometimes dis- discouraging and disillusioning. And so this evening, if you're here, I want to encourage our hearts about dreams and how God grows dreamers and what he does when we learn to learn the lessons and then begin to flow in what God wants to do for us. And so one of my favorite stories in Scripture is the story of Joseph. I love the story of Joseph. Always have, probably always will. But if you have your Bibles with you this evening, I want to invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 37. I want to read part of this story to you, and then I want us to talk about some of the things that I think Joseph learned as he was going through this dreaming process that seemed to crumble. So in Genesis chapter 37, verse 3, it says this. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flock with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah. I want you to just catch the fact that Joseph is young, okay? He's 17, and the sons of Zilpha, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. So Joseph, this young guy, 17-year-old, he's a tattletale. He goes out, he watches his brothers, he runs back to dad, and he whatever it is. Dad, I'm, you know, here's what goes on, and, and here's what it says in the scripture. Now Israel loved Joseph more than his older sons because he was born to him in his old age. Anybody here with siblings? Anybody here with siblings? It feel like your parents maybe loved your siblings more than you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I have, th- I have a sister, and then I have a bunch of brothers. And I'm positive my parents loved my sister more than they loved us. Now, she doesn't think so, but I'm pretty sure, and that's what this says here in this text, that uh, Israel favored this little jigger, and Joey, this tattletale, was daddy's special little boy, and he got favoritism over his brothers, and they didn't really care for it too much. And it says here that... Uh, <clears throat> Sorry, that his dad made him a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. So it's not just a slight dislike here. It's not just sort of uncomfortable. These guys didn't like Joey. In fact, it says that that they hated Joseph. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. I can just imagine what it was like that day that Joseph starts to gather his brothers around in the farmyard to kind of start talking them through this dream that he had. He said, listen to this dream that I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheep rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down. Is that not an incredible dream? He's got to be thinking, my brothers are really pumped up about this. But actually, it says here, his brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. These guys weren't buying into Joey. They didn't really care for Joey. And Joey wasn't very sensitive. He hadn't really learned what it looks like to do community very well. It says here in the next verse, it says, Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. This guy's not that smart. He's not that sensitive. He's not that intuitive. He's not catching on that his brothers don't really care for him. It says, Listen, he said, and I had, I had another dream. And this time, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. This little... 
twerp brother of ours is kind of arrogant. I mean, he thinks the sun and the stars and the moon are going to bow down to him. And when he told it to his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked, rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. And the story goes on to say that the father sends the, uh, the, the brothers off to tend his flocks, but Joey doesn't have to go for some reason. I'm guessing it because he's a little bit spoiled. And you ever notice that spoiled kid never really has to do anything, right? He gets to stay home with dad and, and be looked after. But his brothers go off to tend dad's flocks, and eventually dad says, hey, Joey, why don't you run out and check on your brothers and bring back a report of them? And so Joseph heads off to Shechem to find his brothers. But when he gets there, they're not there. They're not where they're supposed to be. And some guy notices him wandering around, and they come over to him and say, what are you looking for? And he says, well, my brothers are tending my father's flocks and they're supposed to be here and he says yeah I overheard them and they're going over to Dotham and so he says well I'll just run over there and check on them and and so he heads off in that direction and here's what the text says it says when he was still a distance away they saw him coming they noticed him coming and and you know the conversation they had was hey look here comes the little dreamer boy why don't we deal with him why don't we kill this little guy and we'll just rid the earth of him we'll tell dad that he got eaten by a critter and we won't have to worry about this uh, arrogant little fellow any longer and so as they approach him one of their soft-hearted brothers Reuben he decides well let's not kill him why don't we just toss him in this cistern right here this hole in the ground and uh, that that way we don't have to kill him right away I'm not sure what the plan was whether they were going to store him there indefinitely but it says that they sat down and had their lunch And I can just envision my brothers doing that to me. And I can envision Joey sitting in that well or that cistern yelling back, come on, you guys, get me out of here. This isn't funny. Come on, you guys, I'm going to tell dad. To which they would have said, of course you're going to tell dad. You're a tattletale. That's exactly what you're going to do. And while they're having their dinner, they see this caravan coming from Egypt. And they think, hey, just a second. Why would we kill this guy? Why don't we sell him? We'll get a few bucks for him. We'll ship him off to Egypt. We'll take that little coat of his. We'll rip it up a little bit. We'll put a little bit bit of blood and and mud on it. We'll take it back and and we'll tell dad he got eaten by a critter. And dad will be sad, but we'll be rid of Joey. And we didn't actually have to kill him. And so that's kind of the plan they had for this guy. Now for poor Joey, as he's leaving that day in the caravan, kind of looking back at his brothers, everything familiar has been stripped away. Everything that he was familiar with, everything that he was comfortable about, everything that he could understand was slowly slipping away. In fact, maybe not even that slowly. And here's my question. Where is God when your dream appears to be crumbling? Before God can grow the dream, he has to grow the dreamer. And I'm pretty sure Joseph wasn't thinking about that. I'm pretty sure Joseph is thinking we have a problem here. One thing I know, probably the only thing I know, is that my dad's never coming looking for me. He thinks I'm dead. He's not going to come looking for me. If I can just interrupt here for just a moment, don't lose our place in the story. But I want to throw a baseball illustration in at this point. So if you can just track with me quickly. Let's call this podium home base, okay? That exit will be first base. That exit will be second base. That exit will be third base and home base. And when you play baseball, the order of the bases matter. You always start at home base. You don't get to start from any other place. And when you get a, a run or a, or a hit, uh, sorry, a, 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 a hit, I guess, an advancement, where do you advance? First base. Always to first base. You don't get to go to any other base. If you go to any other base, they're going to call you out. Okay, they won't let that happen. And when you advance, you go to first. And it's important you tag up at first. And when you do that, you get to advance to second. And if you get to second and tag up at second, then you go to third. If you get to third and tag up at third and you happen to cross home base in that order, having achieved those objectives, they're going to count that a run. And if you don't touch those bags, don't tag up properly, that's a problem in baseball. 
Okay, so pay attention to that because this is really important to our story. And so Joseph finds himself heading down to Egypt where he's sold again. He's not just sold once, he's sold again. He's sold to Potiphar. Potiphar is the captain of the guard of Pharaoh. And so Joseph finds himself in this very unfamiliar setting and yet he begins to experience uh, opportunity. He begins to experience personal advancement. And do you know why that is? That's because in the scriptures it says God was with him. So when our dreams are crumbling and we think somehow God's mystified or dumbfounded by it all, God's not confused at all. Because before God can grow the dream, he has to grow the dreamer. And that's what was happening in Joseph's life. And I'm guessing that's what's happening in our lives, in the lives of the body of Christ, as we walk through this journey together. And so Joseph is in Potiphar's house, gaining prominence. And the scripture says that this good-looking young guy actually was attractive to Potiphar's wife. And Potiphar's wife starts hitting on this guy and he spends half of his time trying to stay clear of her because she's pretty tenacious, she's pretty persistent. And Joseph is trying to make sure he's never caught alone with her. But one day when he shows up to work, it says, there's nobody around, all the other servants, all the other people weren't there. And that particular day, Potiphar's wife was extremely aggressive and she was really persistent and pushing on Joseph. And Joseph is saying, I can't do this, I can't sin against God. And as she persists, he, be, he decides he's got to flee the house and as he runs out of the house, remember, she grabs his coat. And she's got his coat and now she's yelling accusations out the door at him and Joseph is going, this is so not good. Where I am going is so not good. This just can't turn out any way good. And uh, something very important happened that day that Joseph fled that house. The day that he actually walked out of that threshold, he moved into a position where he had no choice but to trust. Joseph moved from being self-reliant to being spirit-reliant. He began to understand that every day we have to get up and discover God's call in our lives. We're not our own, we've been bought with a price. And Joseph had to trust that that was true. He had to understand that he's got a call in his life and that God has an expectation, but at this point he's going to have to trust not knowing where he's going. And of course, the story goes on to say that Potiphar did encounter Joseph and was really, really upset with him and said, listen, you little creep, I heard what you did and my wife is blah, 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 whatever it was. And you're going straight to prison and I hope you rot there. It's kind of the message that I suspect Joseph got that day. And Joseph finds himself in prison. He's not, he's not guilty of anything, but there he is. Where's God when our dream is being ripped out from under, under us, right? Before God can grow the dream, he has to grow the dreamer. And Joseph had to learn what it looked like to live a life with character in spite of the fact that it wasn't fair. Well, have you ever lived in, in a time where you thought things weren't fair? You ever say that as a kid? My kid used to say that all the time. Shayla used to say that all the time. That's not fair. I mean, it's not fair. Life's not fair. Get over it. Life's not fair. Nobody said it would be fair. And Joseph finds himself in prison, and he's going to get a lesson about character. Living with character in a world that doesn't actually think that's a prerequisite. Our world doesn't think character's that important. And Joseph is learning about character. What's character? If we had more time tonight, I would push us for definition. Most of us would say it's, it's honesty, it's integrity, but character's so much more than that. Character in its finest definition is Christ-like. What was Christ-like? Man, there are so many descriptors, so many qualities, so many attributes in the scripture that, that, that sort of describe how Jesus lived his life and the example that he left for us. But he was a man of, of honesty, integrity for sure, but he was a man of justice, a man of courage. He was consistent. He was, he was tenacious. He was, he was decisive. He was, he was selfless. He, he did all these amazing things. And as Joseph began to put these things into practice, he began to experience trust because in order to have good 
um, relationship, you have to have trust. And as Joseph practiced that, he got to advance to second base. Second base is our community base. Second base is about relationships. You can't have good relationships without trust. If you're not a trustworthy person, you won't have good relationships. It's impossible. And as Joseph moved over to second base, he began to see and love people the way that he was actually intended to see and love people. You see, God loves people. Jesus came for people, he lived for people, he died for people, he rose again for people, and the scripture says he's coming back for people. People matter to the heart of God, and people need to matter to us. They need to matter to you. The people of this community, of this church, of this area, of this city, of this province, of this country, of this globe, we need to be concerned about people. Because God's concerned about people. And sometimes we want to write people off thinking they're a problem. People are not the problem, folks. Sin is the problem. Violating the truth of God's word. This is a book of principles and a book of promises. If you live by the principles, you can stand on the promises. And if you violate the principles, you're in big trouble. And I'm pretty sure that's why our world is experiencing the challenge we're experiencing. Because we simply don't believe this is true. But God's word is true. And you can put it to the test. And it doesn't matter where you hear a message. If it is true, you will find it here. I think Pastor Paul said that this morning, did you? I think you did. It's here. You will always find it here. It's what I love about leadership. I love about the leadership guys that charge a, a ridiculous amount of money for their seminars. It's actually all in here. And we should be charging them. But you know what? Joseph began to learn about relationships and he began to gain prominence and he began to gain influence because that's what happens when we have character. And every day he would get up and say, God, I need to live out of a sense of purpose, a sense of call. I need to live with character. I need to have the qualities and the attributes that reflect well you. I need to do relationships. I need to treat people the right way. I need to be able to be useful and helpful. I need to be able to be your hands and your feet and your heart to these people, God. And as he did that, people began to bring their situations to Joseph, and Joseph was able to help. Now we have the story of the cupbearer and the baker in the story. As they came and they brought their concerns to Joseph, and they said, can you help us? And he said, my God can interpret that for you. And what did he do? To the, to the cupbearer, he said, you know, in three days, you're going to be restored to your rightful place serving the king. That's pretty cool. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. To the, to the baker, who thinks, oh, good, I want to hear what's up for me. He says, well, you're going to be impaled on a post and the birds of the air are going to pluck your flesh. That's not such a good message. But Joseph was willing to be a servant that was willing to, in his circumstance, be faithful and obedient and responsive. And God granted him the opportunity to have influence with people. And then he began to advance to third base. Third base is our competence base. You see, our lives need to be fruitful. They need to bear results. God expects that we would be productive, effective people. He's given us gifts, talents, abilities, resources, and he expects that we would steward those carefully and responsibly to serve the needs and the concerns and the opportunities of his world. He expects us to be people that are, that are truly effective, productive people. And so Joseph, every day, got up and lived out of that sense of purpose, that sense of call. He went to his first base, to his character base. He tagged up there. Then he went to relationships. He did relationships really well. Then he went to competence, and he was extremely helpful and fruitful. And he used his life very, very diligently. And here's kind of the point of my entire message this evening. Folks, something happens between third base and home base when we live the pattern God wants us to live. And that's God's favor and anointing kicks in in our lives. God does something that is absolutely crazy beyond our wildest comprehension. He kicks in his favor and his anointing. And you know what that does? That moves you from the prison to the palace in a single day. It moves you from being a convict, a criminal, to having the king's signet ring in charge of all of his assets, in charge of all of his resources, with the power to make decisions. 
Does that not excite you to think that that's the kind of uh, opportunity we've been invited to? We have the opportunity to live and flow and experience the favor and the anointing of God in our lives every moment, every day, throughout the course of our day, but we have to do it living the pattern God can bless. And when we get outside of that pattern, God's not in a position to actually pour his blessing upon us. I remember being at a birthday one day, and one of our professors was telling me that uh, he'd had a mod, mod that week, it was a spiritual formation mod, and the students were saying about Wednesday, their, their perspective seemed to be that, you know, God had no choice but to bless them. And, uh, and Carl Hendreger is the professor, and he, he asked them this question. He said, you're absolutely right. God has really no choice but to bless you. But here's the question, are you blessable? Are you living in a pattern that God can actually bless? Or are you actually creating a situation where he simply can't bless you because you're not blessable in the moment and the circumstance? And I thought that was really, really profound. You see, Joseph figured out the secret to walking and flowing and being able to, to know God's favor and anointing in his life. And so here's what I want to challenge us with today. We live in a world where lots of people don't have a clue what their purpose is. They don't know that they have a call in their life. They get up in the morning and they don't have a clue what direction to go. And they certainly don't think first base is important because it's not a prerequisite because have you noticed? Our, our society doesn't seem to care about character. Anybody here? sort of watching that and saying character doesn't seem to be a prerequisite. You can be an effective leader. They'll write books about you. They'll run documentaries on you. They will elevate you even if you don't have character. Was Hitler a good leader? I mean, we can go on and on. Relationships, they go, you know what? People are expendable. People are disposable. There's lots of people. I can get new relationships. That's not really important. And so I don't understand my purpose and I certainly don't see that as important and that's not important. I've gotten rid of lots of people and I've replaced them and I've gotten rid of those and there's lots more to replace those. But what they sort of seem to understand is that third base seems to be really important in our society. If you can produce something, if you can perform, if you can be productive, that's what the world seems to reward. And so I'm not going to run this pattern, I'm going to run this pattern. And so the world runs the bases backwards, only they don't run all the bases. They simply go to third base and home and count it a run. Third base and home and count it a run. Just look at me, look at my performance. And I want to just um, risk a little. I've told Pastor Paul I'd be really careful here, but just watch the election unfold in these next uh, few days as it does. Which one of these uh, politicians are actually talking about third base promises? Look at what I can do. Look at what I promise. But what about our character? What about our sense of purpose? What about relationships? What about people? What about competence? What about God's favor and anointing? I want to invite you to think about that as you watch the politicians cast their, their great plans and their platforms. I want you to think about that in your own situation, in your own lives, in your own families. I want our kids to understand that the pattern the world runs is not accurate, that the scoreboard that racks up and racks up and racks up points actually aren't real. God's saying, you know what, don't worry about that, Wayne. Those aren't real. What you need to worry about is getting up every day and living out of a sense of call, understanding that I own you, that I have a plan for your life, that I have something really important that I want you to do before I can use you. I need to grow you. What's God growing you for tonight? That we would live in a way that we'd have character where the world would actually begin to see and trust and have confidence that they can rely on us. That we'd do relationships not in an expendable way, but in a way that actually shows people love and penetrates their hearts where they actually get to experience Jesus Christ through our lives. Is your life an attractive, contagious representation of Jesus Christ tonight that compels other people to see him in you and be drawn to him? And then to live that, that passionate a purpose in using your gifts and your talents and abilities in the ways that honor the heart of God. 
Folks, we live in a world where we are watching this all the time. I mean, I, I said this morning, look at Rudy Giuliani, the mayor of New York City during the 911 crisis. He said, leave, leave my character out of this. Leave my relationships out of this. Heaven knows I've made a mess in those situations, but just look at what I can do. And the world says, yeah, just look what I can do. Look what he can do. And frankly, he did a wonderful job at 9-11. He really did. But, but you know what? That's not the pattern God can bless. It's not the pattern God can use. And here's what I want to appeal to you tonight. If we don't actually understand how vital this is for our kids, where we actually help them understand, you can't cheat, you can't run to third base, I know the world's telling you you can. I shared this story this morning, let me do that here this evening as well. When I was in high school, I actually loved Red Deer. I, I went to high school here and uh, went to Lindsay Thurber Comprehensive High School. And one afternoon at 10 to 1, we're in a shop wing waiting to um, get in after class, or after uh, lunch rather, and my buddy Randy and I were sitting on the floor, and we had this learning disabled kid that was in our class, and he joined us, and he got up to have a drink out of the water fountain, and three very, very tough guys came down the hall. You know they're tough because they kind of walk like tough guys, and, and one of the guys walks by Elmo and pounds him in the back of the head, drives his face down to the water fountain, busts up his face, and I'm sitting on the floor going, that's not okay, and I jumped off the floor that day going, these guys are going to bloody my nose. Somehow this isn't going to turn out likely really well, but I'm not, I don't care. I can't sit and watch this. I can't just sit idle by and what's that thing for you tonight that will draw you into the game, will throw you in even if you get your nose bloody? You're saying, I don't care. I just can't stand it. What is your holy discontent? Let me tell you what my holy discontent is tonight, folks. My holy discontent is inaccurate messaging shaping the beliefs of our kids. Scripture says, guard your heart for it's a wellspring of life. If your heart goes bad, if your thinking goes bad, if your belief system goes bad, your whole world spirals downward out of control very, very quickly. And that's what I think we're watching in our world. We don't have a problem with our kids. We don't have a problem with our youth. We have a problem with our value system. We have a problem with not understanding that God's word is true. And we need to live in alignment with it. And God's called us to live a certain pattern that he can bless. And when we live in violation of that, it brings about a lot of confusion and devastation and heartache. And, and so as I think about our kids, I'm going, who's gonna teach them to live the pattern God can bless in a world that says, no, 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 it's all about you. Just go to third base, come home, third base and come home. And you can see it happening. And people say the only way to compete in a world that cheats is to get, up, caught, get it caught up cheating. And I wanna say, no, that's not true. So next weekend, we're gonna gather together Friday and Saturday, and we're gonna talk about a framework. And really, in essence, that's what we wanna talk about. It's not a formula, it's not a how-to. What we wanna talk about to parents and to grandparents and to individuals, whether you are or aren't one of those, we need a whole community to rise up and say, how do we prepare the next generation to live the pattern that God can bless so that they can exponentially be his hands and his feet, that he can exponentially work through them to dumbfound the authorities, to overthrow some of the foolishness we're seeing going on in our system. When they say wrong is right and right is wrong, we need to stand up, folks, and I believe it's our kids that need to be prepared to do that, and they're gonna do that as they see God in your life and in my life as we bear the message of hope that we heard about tonight as messengers of hope, as we live courageous, as we, as we model and live this pattern out. I'm confident God is gonna do some crazy things in our world in preparation for his return. And so I'm excited. I hope you'll come out next weekend and participate with us and that we would see this church launch an entire army of people that we'd see this church raise up the next generation of Canada's kids to walk into the communities, to walk into the public education system, to walk into the halls of power and actually speak truth 
with, a, with an influence that catches the ears of the people that need to understand God has a plan and a purpose and he will live it out with or without us. Uh, may we be faithful and obedient and responsive and may you know God's favorite anointing in your life as you, uh, as you live and steward it. Third base doesn't work. Thank you so much, uh, Pastor Paul. Amen. Thank you, Wayne. Boy, I tell you, lots of passion. You've gotten me in trouble now, Wayne. You're ending way earlier. But I don't speak quite that quickly, so it takes me a little longer. Uh, that's great. We appreciate you coming. I so appreciate Wayne. You know, he, he was a representative for Briarcrest, and he met with me a number of times. I actually graduated. I got a seminary degree from there. And uh, he introduced me to Amy, who, you know, I said to him, he said, what can I do to help the church? I really like that when people say to me, what can I do for you? Because when you're a pastor, it's usually, what can you do for me? But Wayne came and said, what can I do for you? I said, if you can find some godly young leaders, I said, I'd appreciate it. He says, I got one in mind. And uh, so he's the one that connected us with Amy, and I'm so glad that she came and has done an amazing job here. She is a dynamic, godly young leader. We appreciate her so much. Amen. So thank you, Wayne. I think he's challenged us tonight about some very important things, about having the right values, having biblical values, developing character. And, you know, God has put all in our, all of our hearts a design and a purpose for each one of our lives. Do you know every one of you that is in this room, God is calling out to you. And maybe you've never responded to him as a person. That's the first call you need to hear. You need to receive Christ. And then he calls out to you and says, I want you to serve me. I want you to be a partner with me. That's how you grow as an individual. We have to go into partnership with God. And here's the part I like. We're the weaker end. He's the best end. And when we feel like we can't do it anymore, we just can appeal to God and say, this is outside of my scope. God says, yeah, that's why I brought you there. So that you wouldn't trust yourself, you would learn to trust me. You've come to the end of yourself. That's a good place to be, by the way. That's when God kicks in, you know. And we all have to come to that place. And it's an amazing place to get to. And, I'm, and tonight, you know, I was just trying to say to Wayne this morning where I was going in, in prayer is I have prayer partners in our church and they pray in the morning. What are you trying to communicate to us? And the, and the idea is that we would have a burden and a vision to really communicate and help young people today. And I, 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 am, I feel more passionate myself as a pastoral leader about what we're training our young children, you know, and... Uh, J.D. joined our staff, and we've had some amazing conversations, and we're really deeply concerned about systematically, you know, putting the good stuff inside of people, because I'm concerned, you know, just coming to church is not enough, folks. As good as that is, I mean, that's good. I, I appreciate you coming. That's wonderful, but we want to go to another level. I, I, our goal and my prayer for each one of you is that it's not how many are here, but it's what's happening to the people that are here, that you are growing and developing. That's what I'm concerned about. You know, I've said this a lot. Think about it. It's not how many people that are Christians that are going to make a difference. It's the kind of people we are that's going to make a difference. Jesus chose 12 people and he changed the world. That's not a lot, is it? 
But you know those 12 people had to come to a place that they were fully committed to Jesus and willing to give their lives to him. Once they got to that place, they became world changers. You know, I look around here in this room. Do you know right now there are more people in this room than Jesus had his 12? There's more of us here. All we need to do is get to that same place and we could have that kind of an impact in our world. Isn't that an amazing thought? And so I'm gonna have a stand tonight as we close in prayer. And we're going to pray tonight. How many here you can say, you know, Pastor, I really appreciate what Wayne shared. I know we do. But you know what? There's some work to be done in my character. I'm not quite like Jesus yet. Anybody here that's probably true of you? I got my hand up. I'm not quite like him. I'm, and you know what the, the scary part is? The older I get, the more I see there's problems. And they're not in you. They're in me, you know. And I've discovered something about the Christian life. The closer you get to God, the more you realize that you're a sinner. And you probably sin less. And then there are people, the further they are from God, they don't see anything. They don't think they're a sinner. And they're sinning all the time. Isn't that kind of a paradox? And that's the way it works. So is there anybody here you could say, you know, God, there's a little more work to be done inside of me. Some, some character development. I'm still not there yet. I'm not quite like you, Jesus. I'm not trying to match up to anybody else but Jesus. And there's a little bit of a gulf between me and him. And so I got my hand up. I need your grace tonight. Maybe there's some tonight you say, you know what? Relationships, that's an issue with me. You know, I, I just need to be better at relating to people. I need to be, you know, maybe more humble or more gracious or more compassionate or more understanding. You know, we could go on. Is there anybody here? We probably could improve in our relationship development. Anybody here? That probably would help. Oh, there's a few of us. Okay. How many here say, you know, it would be great. I'd really like to be more fruitful. I want to be more deeply competent in the things that God has put inside of me. I want to let these things really develop in my life. Anybody else? You're a candidate? Wow. Man, I tell you, we really need help. We're a... We're a real needy group here tonight. But you know the good news is we're in the right place. And we can cry out to God tonight and ask for his grace. And he's going to hear our cry. And he's going to make a major compensation for where we're failing. Isn't that a good? That's not good news. And he wants to do that. That's the part I like. He's really on our side. He wants that to happen for us. So let's pray tonight. Father, we thank you for this beautiful message. We've been challenged. We recognize, Lord, that there are deficiencies in our life. We can call them sin. We can call them underdevelopment. We can call them neglect. There's so many things that, you know, that can be keeping us from becoming all that you want us to be. And Lord, as I look around this room, there's more people in this room than you even had when you were training those 12 men. And those men literally changed their world. And I pray tonight that we would be candidates for your grace to work powerfully in our character, Lord, in our relationship developments, in our competencies. Lord, may that happen, Father, so that we can see your kingdom come, your will advance in our lives and through our lives. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you leave tonight.